Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Hi, friends and family. We are back at it again with another episode of Love Extremist Radio. Today is a very special day. I am here with my old friend Genesis. Yeah, yeah. Genesis B in the house. She is a critically acclaimed hip-hop artist, songwriter, and activist from Biloxi, Mississippi. B incorporates themes of social justice, sensuality, and abstract minimalism in both her visual art pieces and her music. Her newest album and art exhibit, People Not Things, debuted this month here in L.A. Uh, it's, I'm really excited to check it out. Her unique perspective explores and challenges our concepts of humanity, exploitation, race dynamics, queer identity, and sensuality using multimedia. Her work is often self-critical and satirical at times. B states, I am an activist because I am a hopeless romantic. I cannot hide my passions nor my pain. My concern for the disregard of the human condition overwhelms me, as does the love, magic, and wonders I've witnessed in our world. My art is the vehicle through which I emote. She currently re- resides in Atlanta, Georgia. And yeah. oh man, like. Beautiful intro. Thank you, Ethan. Thank th- you. Thank you for bringing yourself to this universe. I, I have to say, there's so much there, there's so much meat. First of all, the fact that. You bring a lightness to the heaviness of your work. You know, mm-hmm. you you, mm-hmm. you have this. You, you speak about self-critical and satirical, and I think that's having that ability to laugh and to smile even in the heaviest of moments. Yeah, man, we have to. That's really all we have. Really, all we our have our smiles and our laughs. Like once that's finished, once that's gone, it's a wrap. Like you might as well, you know, throw in the towel. Right. What's the point if you're not enjoying it along exactly. the way? It's so exactly. real. And we met in Atlanta, Georgia, where you now live. Yep. Um, shout out to Breakout. Shout out to Breakout. Thank you to the fam at Breakout, Michael and Graham and everyone there. And that was an amazing experience. And I knew from the get-go you were on another level. And then when I learned about your work and we got a chance to kind of artistically collaborate a little bit and just get to know each other more through that community, it's really been a gift. And I just want the listeners to understand, you know, What's your story? You know, how do you how do you present yourself? Not necessarily in the bio, but if you're just like talking to a dude like me, it's like, you know, what's your passion Mm -hmm. and what what informed that? What's my passion and what informs it? Um, I think definitely my upbringing, like the history Mm -hmm. of my family. So I'm descendant of civil rights activists and my father is an activist um, who kind of taught me about theatrical protests. And that's where I learned it from him. So that. Um, in terms of my activism, I do things that are kind of uh, provocative, you know, to kind of drive home a point. And, you know, that's all from my upbringing. You're an extremist. 
Uh, I don't know if I'm an extremist, <laughs> but you know, I do extreme things sometimes. But I'm actually a, a calm person. Like, <laughs> That's true. Very <laughs> like, fair. Fair enough. I'm super calm, like most of the time. People. It's funny when people meet me in person after like getting to know me from my work. They're so surprised. They expect me to be like maybe barking political commentary at them or just being just like really harsh and abrasive. But like not like only in my art am I like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I grew up very, uh, what do you say, versatile. It was very versatile. My, my mother is a white woman from Wisconsin. My my father is a black man from Mississippi. They both converted to Islam before I was born. So you know, the, we were raised on the Torah, the New Testament, and the Quran, you know, because mm-hmm. um, they came from Christian backgrounds, Baptist backgrounds, Catholic background. And yeah, it was a, it was a very diverse upbringing, but in the beautiful way, because like the diversity to me can go two ways, mm. you know, and this is where people, not things, this kind of comes into play, right? Because mm-hmm. diversity can either be exploitive you know, like people exploit diversity, you know, it could be, um, celebratory, yeah. you know, so some people celebrate diversity and it's, you know, to me, those, those are the two things that, you know, I see diversity being taken in, especially in our country, you know, can you speak a little bit to an experience of exploitation that you've seen in diversity in that language or, or where you see it happening? Oh, every day. Mm-hmm. Every day in the media, mm-hmm. every day it's us versus them. Mm-hmm. We can't allow them in. Right. We have to keep them separate. That, you know, like exploiting differences so that to cause division, to cause fear, to perpetuate consumerism, like all of these things they either make us buy things or make us afraid so that we will vote a particular way or get behind a particular candidate. So I think diversity has been weaponized. Do you see that as kind of like a tribalism in a way, like the, the, the kind of segmentation of society of a us versus a them means that this is our tribe and that's their tribe and we are enemies. Do mm. you see that being like, I was just having this conversation with my friends, um, Mark Gonzalez, who's a, also a poet and, um, and Mike De La Roca, Mike De La Rocha. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about tribalism and their identity as Latinx men. And I was really interested in that idea because there's pride in your identity, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have a very unique identity and you celebrate that, but also like that can be something that's exploited, like you said. So where do you fall in terms of celebrating personal identity? Do you think that that's something that we need to hold on to and we need to continue to cultivate the traditions of our families and our Mm -hmm. backgrounds? Or do you think it's really important to... Yeah, like, I guess it's both and, right? Yeah, I think it's absolutely important to um, identify with with things that, you know, make you feel whole and complete culturally, you know? So I'm a strong believer in um, cultural tradition, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's like holding on to those traditions um, as long as they're not hurting people. You get what I'm saying? There are traditions that that hurt people. Um, But, yeah, I mean, tribe is tribe, you know? I think... People are different for a reason. Like, you know, um, I mean, we're kind of, we are the same, though. You get what I'm saying? Like, we might come from different regions. We might look different. Some might have more melanin than some, you know, but at the end of the day, we're all still humans, you know? And so I 
I believe that some diversity is that is great because as long as it's celebratory, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I can go to another culture that I, I don't speak the language, I don't know anything about their food and all that, and still see so much beauty in that culture because now I'm learning. Mm-hmm. Now I'm learning, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's when diversity really um, is is at its beautiful, most beautiful is when it's being celebrated celebrated by those who are part of that culture, not blocking it out or you know perpetuating stereotypes or biases because of what you've been told about that culture but actually experiencing it yeah we're an hour is not going to be enough for us i already know but like (laughs) we can go on for days yeah i i just want to say i since we met we've been talking a little bit about your relationship with mississippi where you grew up yeah and that Mississippi has in a building <laughs> and how that's so, po- there's there's love of that culture and there's also some challenge and there's some some pain there and there's a tribalism that you've confronted around the traditions of the confederacy in Mississippi and that kind of thrust you into a very public space with your activism when you started to rise up against that sure. and speak outwardly against that and especially for those of you who are aware, like state flag is still being flown with the Confederate yeah, symbol sure. in Mississippi. And that's sure. been an issue that you've taken on head on. And yeah. so some would say there's tradition and there's tribal identity yeah. that's important for the history of Mississippi in that. And I am not one of those people that would necessarily say that. And yet, where do you see, like, where do you see that argument maybe, like, challenging you in a way? Well, I feel like I kind of stated a little bit before when I talked about tradition that hurts and harms and tradition that is celebratory of a culture. Mm. So if the Confederate emblem still flies in my state flag and your population is 40% black, or near 40% black, the tradition that you're holding on to with that symbol is harming and triggering to a large part of your population. Yeah. That's what's problematic. And it's when it's done through arrogance, it's no longer like, oh, you know, I love the Confederacy so much that it has to, it has to be on this state flag. It's more like, no, like we have the power to keep it up there, so we're gonna keep it up there. Mm. It's arrogance. Mm. You know, that's not of love. That's not of um loving thy neighbor, you mm. know. That's not of Christian values, which Mississippi, you know, supposedly is a Christian state. Mm-hmm. You know, that's more like you don't have you don't have the power to to change this. Mm. You know? And and that's how it feels. It's almost like a slap in the face. Um why not have a more unifying symbol? Like why not? Mm. Why not have a symbol that when uh, a little black kid walks across the stage at his graduation, he sees something that celebrates his culture and his history as well, not something that says that he is less than human mm-hmm. and should be treated as such and can only uh, achieve so much in this life. Because mm-hmm. that's what you're telling those kids. Right. The symbol that relates in my life is the swastika. When I see, you know, as a Jewish white man, I when I see a swastika, it's very triggering, right? Mm-hmm. It, there's a... A history and it's unfortunate because that was actually um, taken from a peace symbol in mm. Islam and in the Middle Eastern tradition and then adapted to that, that and adapted and and so um, 
and yet for us to erase the swastika from culture would be to ignore the history in a way. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the role of the Confederate symbol should be? And where do you think it is appropriate to sit? Yeah, I think it's it's history at this point. You know, you uh, chose to fight against the Union, the federal government, bravely. Mm. Um, you lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and that's history. You know, you uh, Robert E. Lee, you know, before he passed said that, you know, that that symbol and that flag and the battle flag specifically shouldn't be flown anymore. Mm. Like, you know, we lost. Yeah. And it didn't for a long time. And it was res- resurrected, you know. Right. Um, so I think it just belongs in, like, museums and books and Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's scary because... And hold on. Also, and in the homes of those who um, want to celebrate their ancestors. Who, so those people who are descendants of Confederate soldiers and are proud of that and mm. want to celebrate, fly that in your home, you know. Like, I celebrate my ancestors in my home too, you know, but I'm not going to put it on the state flag and say that it's supposed to represent you too. Right. It's kind of like the separation of church and state, right? If people don't, if people have been abused by the church or they feel alienated by religion for them to see religious symbols as part of the political dogma, it's like that, that hurts. That's like a pain. I feel you. And it's a, it's a abuse of power is what it is. Mm. It's abuse of power and like saying that, you know, a certain portion of your population, because they are not powerful enough, that they, um, it's a reminder to them that your your voice and opin- opinion only matters so much here. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. Wow. Thank you. We just went right into it, Man. like right off the bat, You're as we right. often no, do. Man, just go deep, but go let, deep real quick. <laughs> let, let's back up for a second, because like we haven't seen each other in a minute. And like, so yeah. this is Love Extremist Radio. Basically, the premise here is that we need more love in media. And to me, I think you were hinting at it a little bit, but like as one, if we are all one in humanity in this project of being humans, I believe that our purpose ultimately is love. Mm-hmm. And there's three ways in which I see us engaging in our love. Love of self, which is practices that help us be full people, feel confident in our skin, feel loving of ourselves. Love of partners and one-to-one relationships, whether it be intimate or otherwise, friendships, family. And then love of the world, which is activism, which is taking care of our planet, which is eating well and, 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 and living off the earth and, and supporting each other, the symbiosis of Gaia, right? And Mother yeah. Earth. And you are someone who operates in all of these circles and creates work that speaks to the self-love, the, you know, the inter- interplay of sensuality and, and intimacy with people, mm-hmm. and also speaking up for the good of humanity, for the oneness of us all. Sure. Um, but I'd love to hear from you, wh- what is love in your, in your words? How do you define it? I know I was supposed to read the questions you sent, but I didn't. Just so you know. <laughs> well, that's one that's gonna get you then. <laughs> how how I describe love, I feel love is interconnectedness with everything. Be it humanity, be it nature, be it a higher power, or if you don't believe in a higher power, then be it with living things, non living things. I think love is gratitude. Mm-hmm. of the connection, the interconnectedness of all things and all beings. And I think 
and that's that's really how I feel, just like the gratitude of interconnectedness and that from everything, everything spawns from that. So if I have gratitude for people that I meet, you know, places that I'm in, the nature, you know, things that have uh, been given to me, bountiful, what comes from that gratitude is going to be, that's what I think love is, you know. So I'm going to I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to cherish that. I'm going to take care of those people. I'm going to take care of that earth. I'm going to take care of this microphone that's projecting my voice because it's all connected. I'm going to try to take care of those people who I don't even know who are listening mm. to your radio show right now, you know, in whatever ways that I can. <laughs> so how do you stay in that spirit of taking care in that spirit of gratitude? Like, do you have daily practices? Do you have things that you do to keep you in awareness of the connectedness of everything? Yeah. So I, uh, study and practice Sufism, which is based on love. Mm. It's the mystic form of Islam, mm-hmm. you know, we call our creator the beloved. We call those our, we love the beloveds, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I pray. I pray. I say my shahada. I also meditate. I do a meditation called um, conceptual conceptual resistance that was gifted to me during a very difficult time. And conceptual resistance is basically um, focusing on an inanimate object long enough to study it from all angles or as many angles as your mind can conceive. I'm only up to three. Wow. And what that does is allow you to see multiple perspectives at once, wow. like in real time, simultaneously. And it's really trippy and it's very powerful. Um, but but it allows me to sit outside of myself day to day the more I practice this meditation. I only do it five minutes a day. Um, could, and you, it, could you explain it more deeply, like what the yeah, three sure. angles are and like how you do it? Yeah, sure. So um, my three angles vary. Hmm. So I use a blue cup okay. and say I, you and I have a blue cup in between us. And then I'm picturing not only my line of sight at the cup, you're staring at this cup. You're, you're doing all the breathing exercise you normally do with meditation and like paying attention to your breathing, but you're also focusing on this cup. And then when you're set with your line of sight, then I picture the cup from your line of sight. Mm-hmm. And not just the cup, what's around the cup? What is what is in Ethan's periphery, peripheral? Mm-hmm. You know, is he seeing my microphone? Is he seeing a red blur, which would be my shirt? You know, what's behind me is that he's seeing, you know? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, if I'm looking at you right now, I see and hear these people in the background, right. you know, of this glass pane. It's like hyper-awareness. Yeah. So studying it from different angles and then, when you get really good, you start to think, wow, what's in the cup? Right. Right? Because if, if you're looking at my cup, you don't know what's in my cup. Ethan, you don't know what sustains me. <laughs> you don't know if what you say is going to overflow my cup and that's the baddest day for me. Or if what you say is going to fill up my cup to the point where I needed that. Yeah. You know, so that meditation is very powerful. It's called conceptual resistance. Um, and it was just recently documented and featured in Irshad Manji's new book that's escaping me right now. The title's escaping me, but Irshad Manji has a new book out and she um, speaks about conceptual resistance. Mm, that's amazing. I could Thank see you. integrating other senses as well, like how the cup feels mm. or how it might smell when you drink from it, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, or like texture i think a lot about sense senses and how we can experience things like we already know you know like i remember i was riding my bike years ago now past a train 
And I'm looking at this train that's just parked in a train yard. And I'm thinking, I know what it's like to be in that train. I'm not in the train right now, but I can put my body in that train. Right, right. And similarly, I think that conceptual resistance exercise is a really interesting way of getting out of yourself and just putting yourself into the body of someone else or another perspective. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Because once you do that and practice that, first of all, you don't get upset really when other people disagree with you because it's just like that's... What it teaches you is that your perspective is inherently wrong mm. to everybody else because <laughs> no one's going to see that cup the same way you do. I mean, it might be right to you, but like, right. and once you really internalize that concept, oh, it's the most calming, freeing uh. feeling in the world. Like there's no, you know, I approach debate different because of it. I approach my civil discourse, you know, um, it's just been like life changing. Like I'm just a different person after being gifted this, this meditation. Mm. That's interesting. It makes me think of a phrase that I've been sharing with some people lately. And I actually just wrote on a TV that was in the trash. I like to write on trash and like put art on pieces of trash I find on the street and messages That's of dope. love <laughs> <laughs> before they get thrown out. Cause I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to do graffiti on, on, on people's land, but I think trash is fair game to make more yeah. beautiful, alchemize it. Right. Yeah. And I wrote, you can only hate what you don't know. What do you think about that? You can only hate what you don't know. I feel like I would dis disagree with that. Please. I, I, think, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I think people hate things that they know all the time. Okay. You know, I think I think about family when I think about that. Like maybe you have a family member that you know so well, mm -hmm. but they're just a toxic person, and like you grow to hate them, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think about like familiarity and hate. That's interesting. Do you feel like what you are hating though is your perspective? And if you were to do the the practice that we were just talking about, that resistance kind of mm. concentration, you can at least understand that they're coming from a different place mm. and they might be coming from a place of pain or they might be coming from a place of challenge and step into compassion for that person despite the hate? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, hate is such a strong word for me. I've never experienced hate. Like I've never felt it towards something or somebody. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't speak too much on what it what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I am for compassion and understanding and empathy. Mm -hmm. um, and because I would just feel like to be hated is I know what it feels to be hated but I don't know what it feels like to hate and like to be hated is a terrible feeling like I couldn't imagine myself imposing that on someone else have you broken through someone who's hated you and gotten to a place of understanding and compassion with them where they shifted out of that energy um, I've never come face to face with someone who truly hates me, but I know they exist. Okay. Because of online. <laughs> yeah. The internet tells the internet, us. The internet has, has let me know that there are people who hate me. Um, I have reached, uh, broken through to people who disagree with me strongly, who might've saw me a different way or saw me as not fully whole because of how I feel about something that they disagree with. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say they, they hated me, though. You know, they just strongly disagreed with my approach and my um, being, really. 
you know, because like, you know, once my humanity is in question and I'm defending my humanity and you disagree with that, there's really no compromise with that. I want to say they hated me, mm-hmm. um, but I have had uh, discussions with neo-Confederates in Mississippi who uh, didn't like how I handled <laughs> the protests where I, I draped a, a Confederate flag over my body and held a noose and hung the noose around my neck and in protest of Confederate Heritage Month mm-hmm. and the state flag. So, you know, that, that caused a huge uproar and it was very polarizing. And so, you know, I was able to actually go back to Mississippi and speak with some of those, those harshest critics and just listen and be heard. And yeah, that we've, we've actually had some, some amazing breakthroughs. Like, um, it's not just like some kumbaya, oh, we can talk like, no, like, them putting their money where their mouth is and co-facilitating in the name of civil discourse and understanding and like, you know, like standing with me. That's incredible. Yeah. It was, it's a beautiful thing. It's transformative and, and very humbling. We, and we've spoken a little bit about this before, but I'm starting to notice, you know, the name of the show and the name of my, my, you know, project is about extremist love. Mm-hmm. Right. And in many ways, people immediately think of extremist hate or mm-hmm. white nationalism or extremism, yeah. extremism and think, wow, well, you must be addressing that, right? And mm-hmm. in some ways that is the intention, but it's not something that I've had a lot of personal experience with. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you have advice as to what are the processes with which we can begin to have that discourse, begin to come to the table and see each other and hear each other and at least start to engage in a healthy and productive way. So this is where it gets tricky because if someone is coming from the stance of supremacy, they have no need or want to want to speak to anyone who disagrees with them. If you already know that you're you're right and your race is superior, why would you want to talk to anybody who disagrees with that? So this is what's tricky is about it's really on them to do the work. But why would they want to do the work? Mm. It's really on them to educate themselves about the history of whatever ideology that they're boosting up and the culture, you know, and why they've been taught this. Mm. What has been the intention? Because really they're pawns, you know, they've been bamboozled. They've been hoodwinked. But it's hard to to tell somebody like you're being fooled by this concept of this false concept of supremacy of your supremacy is an illusion is real. That's really hard to hear. That's like me telling you your whole reality since you were a child is completely incorrect. Mm -hmm. And showing you facts is like cognitive cognitive dissonance. Right. So I don't really have advice on how to start the civil discourse like. I decided to do it because it was in a very it was a very extreme situation. Mm-hmm. So I had to do something extreme. Mm-hmm. So I humbled myself to reach out to who I felt were supremacists. Right. Um I would never ever tell anyone to do that. I would never tell another black woman or black man to reach out to white supremacists in the hopes of civil discourse cuz first of all it's dangerous. And second of all, it's not their work to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that might have been my work to do in that time, but that's a very specific journey, a specific task and mission that my creator gave me in that time. Right. So I don't really have any advice on how to do that. You know, um, how I did it was I 
it was self-serving because I needed to know how, how they thought and why they thought like that. So I, I was inquiring. So like, can we speak in person? Cause I know this internet is a barrier. Mm-hmm. I know your supremacy is a barrier. I know me being a woman, me being a queer woman, me being a black woman is a barrier to you not seeing me as human. So like, can you look in my eyes and like, tell me right. that my opinion doesn't matter. And none of them could. So right there, there's two things that I'm gleaning from what you're saying. One is curiosity, genuine curiosity, and wanting to just understand. And the second is being upfront in person, face-to-face, and being able to have a conversation Mm -hmm. face-to-face where your humanity is clear because you are there in your skin, speaking, expressing. Undeniable. Undeniable. And one thing that I would... So I've been asked, not by people of color, but by, by... specifically a white man who found himself in a supremacist community unexpectedly and realized it wasn't a comfortable place for him Mm. and yet also wondered what could he do as someone who was almost in a a position of privilege to be trusted by this community and yet not necessarily believe their ideology. Maybe there was a space for him to Mm -hmm. shift things. Right. And... I've been talking to a number of people about this and one of the biggest things that's come out of it, which I think you're expressing is finding the common humanity, right? What is, what are the, what's the commonality, whether it's just showing up face to face and being able to just be, um, that can be enough. And so, you know, finding out what's actually most important for these people, right? Normally it's their family, right? They, everybody has the love of family. Everybody has maybe a dream, something that they want to do. Maybe it's creative. Maybe they love music, right, right? right? Maybe they love art. But those commonalities that go deeper than the material or deeper than the kind of like ideological mm-hmm. and into like the richness of being a human, sure. uh, loving the nature, loving the weather, right? Like yeah. it's like, I don't know. I'm wondering like what the keys are to break through these like kind of walls, these barriers of supremacy. So I was doing a talk at JSU, Georgia State University, and there was a mathematician in the audience, and he said, the easiest way to solve a division problem is to find the common denominator. Yes. And, and we all oh. knew this growing up. Like, we always knew That's that That's a role. lyric right there. But it's, I was just so beautiful and to the point, you know, and so now when I do my speeches, I, I always, I forgot what his name was, but I always say this man said this, and it's so true. Like, this is exactly what you're saying. It's like... Who doesn't want health care for their children? Right. Like proper health care. Who doesn't want proper education for their children? Everybody wants that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you think about me or whatever. Like, I know you want that for your kids. It's, there's always something that we could be collaborating on for the better good of the community rather than just, you know, you, you staying away from me because you don't trust me or that you were taught black people were this or that women are like this or queer people are like this. When we could be collaborating and, and building, finding that common denominator and then making it better for everybody, for the good of the collective, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why division is so powerful and diversity, the weaponization of diversity is so powerful because it it basically um, it prohibits and inhibits us from being able to come together for the common good. Right. If we're fearing each other, then we're, we're placing our trust in a politician we're placing our trust in the state we're placing our trust in uh the government externals Mm -hmm. and externals instead of the trust in people right 
you know. So at this point, you're not believing in people. You're believing in things. <laughs> that is a perfect segue into <laughs> your work. I wanted to ask. So people, not things yeah. that now on view at the Tag Gallery in L.A. That's right. Can you speak a bit to your most recent work and, and, and kind of where what the story is behind that and kind Absolutely. of how you're presenting it? Yeah. So after my protest in 2016, um, the protest went viral. So everything from Billboard to Breitbart picked it up and everything in between. And it scared me. You mm -hmm. know, I got a lot of backlash online, a lot of like death threats, threats against my family. That's not what scared me. What scared me was like now I had a national platform and I d did something so divisive. Mm -hmm. Um. I have this national platform now. What do I want to do? What do I want to say? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be unifying or am I going to continue to perpetuate divisiveness? So I was like a recluse for like six months. I was living in Brooklyn at the time. I would just go to work and come home. It's the only time in my life since I was 14 where I didn't perform at all, where I didn't wow. speak at all because I was trying to figure out what am I going to say. And it was during this time, like my management dropped me and everything because I refused to do public appearances. Um, so it was during this time that I began to paint. I had never picked up a paintbrush in my life, mm -hmm. but it was a time of like deep prayer, deep meditation, deep drinking. Um, I started painting, you know, going through all my issues and all that. And like, it's strange to say, but like I was visited by something that, was outside of this world. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was a jinn, like an extraterrestrial. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that I saw. You okay. get what I'm saying? It's not something where I was like, I saw some being that came into my room. It's not like that, but it, it was a presence that I felt like within myself and around myself that told me to paint and told me specifically to paint these barriers. So my style, like like you see my shirt, yeah. the whole uh, exhibit is like these, my signature swipes are barriers. Mm -hmm because I couldn't see the barriers between myself and the people getting at me online. Right. So I created them. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started to draw little people, little genderless, raceless people, because the, the beings that visited me showed me their lens of how they look at humanity. Mm -hmm. And the way they look at humanity is the way we look at ants. So when you see ants on the ground doing their thing, building their little hills, you don't look at that ant and say, that's a black ant or that's a gay ant or that's a Jewish ant. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, they're, they're just ants. So yeah. the way that they, the gen look at humanity is they see people mm. hurting people. They see people loving people. Right. They see people interacting with each other. Um, so I feel like they tapped me and I tapped them. I think they wanted to understand also of like, you know, how come, why is it so easy for us to see these differences when they don't even see them? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's like the first time I kind of publicly spoke about the gin. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's, it's the truth. And I don't know if that's exactly what they were, but at the time I didn't know what it was, but I've, I've like been trying to research and, you know, they're still with me. Mm -hmm. You know, they're still, they're still with me or one is still with me. Um, so yeah. So then I started painting and started doing the audio visuals. The audio visual portion are music videos um, that explore, uh, explore my relationships with women in a way that I've never done before in mm. my career. Um, I wanted to try to take out the singular narrative of 
what it means to be with a woman or especially the femme energy. I feel like femme energy, when it is explored in hip hop and mainstream, is like derogatory and exploitive mm -hmm. many times, not mm -hmm. always celebratory, but or the love interest when it is celebratory. Like they're so just so multifaceted, like, you know, women are so multifaceted and um, relationships between women are multifaceted. It's not always just like centered around the male pleasure and ego where in hip hop, you know, if that's explored, it's just like, oh, like my girl got a girlfriend, mm -hmm. you know? So I just like wanted to explore those subtle nuances and just share my take on what my experience has been like loving women. Mm. Um, so exploring like sensuality in those ways. So all of the music videos explore that. So people not things, the album is now available for pre-order as well mm. um, on Bandcamp exclusively. You can't hear it anywhere else. Mm. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. So how do you feel about expressing your work through this kind of gallery system? Has that always been like the mode with which you release your, your projects because mm -hmm. you're a musician, you're a speaker, you, you, you're so multimedia. <laughs> yeah. So like, does the gallery feel like home for you or? It's brand new. Brand, I have, yeah. I've never shown a painting ever, right. you know? So this is my first solo exhibit and I have like 20 to 25 paintings that I'm showing like for the first time. It's incredible. Yeah. And, especially like the music portion I've I've only done like online release or physical press where you go you do a show and then you sell the CDs like that's such a traditional mode or sell your USBs mm. um I've never debuted my music in an art gallery setting so all of those music videos like these brand new music videos that are beautifully produced beautifully directed by Ray Maxwell no one can see them. Like you can't go online to, and see them anywhere. Right. You have to see them in the gallery, you know. Um, and when when the exhibit is finished, we're gonna go to New York to the Bishop Gallery on August second um, until the sixteenth. And after that, then I'll share the videos online. Mm -hmm. Then I'll release all the music online. But I really wanted it to be contained with the paintings in this space so that it is ex an experience for those who want to come and feel my full experience. Mm. Do you feel like the internet, like we were speaking earlier, kind of like creates a division but, or, or, or is a place where like intimacy can't be achieved? Mm. Wow, that's a loaded question. So I think, so I love the internet so much. I just <laughs> like to say, like, I would just like go and find funny memes and just brighten up my day. Like, I love the <laughs> internet so much. But also, yes, like something is lost with, during an interaction on the internet. So this online debating and this online activism is really interesting. You know, people think that they're making a difference by debating online or shutting someone down online. Um, so it has become the forum. Mm -hmm. And... I think that's important because it allows the sharing of ideas. Like anything that allows the sharing of multiple ideas in a way that's not controlled or regulated by media is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's important. It's scary. It's necessary. It's what has changed our lives since the internet, you know, access to the internet has become worldwide mm -hmm. or almost well, almost worldwide. There's still people who cannot access it. Right. Um, so that's why I love the internet is like the form of the sharing of ideas in a free way where, you know, like the money is taken out of it as much as, as much as it can be at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but also when you're arguing or debating somebody online, you're not seeing 
those person's eyes and their facial expressions. And it's almost like when you, things get lost in a text message, you know, you, people right. thought you said something very sarcastic when really, you, you know, they, yeah. you can't read someone's energy. Totally. So I think that's what's lost. And like energy is so important. Yeah. And um, seeing someone smile when they speak to you or frown when they speak to you, as simple as that is, is super important. Totally. Yeah. It really is. I think about art and like expression and how that's such a important medium for love. And yet, so, like it feels very two-dimensional or singular when we do it online. Obviously, this is media, right? We're speaking on a podcast. It's distributed through digital technology and internet. And there's a lot that we can do with that. You know, you're doing Facebook Live. Like there's so much yeah, yeah, we can yeah. do with these tools. What's and up, it's Instagram? important. What up, IG? Um, and yeah, I guess that face-to-face impact is so much more intense and meaningful and memorable and like you hold on to it like i think how many experiences do i have on the internet that actually stick with me mm. in my development as a human sure think about that show catfish yeah so it's like people who develop these really strong connections only by texting like they don't even see see the person like there's no video chat or anything but it's like it allows you to just see that singularity of a person. So when you can just see a person one way, then it's easy to fall in love because you're just like, well, they're just what I want. Right. They're my dream. Right. But then you get, you meet them and you know, you see, you smell their farts. <laughs> you know, They become all too real. Yeah. And you know, you see them in their, their worst, you know, you see them on their bad days and their bad energy. Then you're like, Oh, like that, that fantasy is stripped. Yeah. You know, I don't know why I took it there, but that's just reminded me. Like, no, you just true. don't know somebody until you like spend spend time with them. You got to get face to face. It's so real. What up, Glock Flight? Yeah. Um, so I want to hear like you, you recently released a piece that I just listened to that I loved um, where you're speaking about a dream and and how you have a dream of a world. And can you articulate a little bit about that or maybe even like share a verse from that? that that resonates yeah, sure um so this i think you're talking about one wish mm-hmm. yeah so it's like um the concept is like if you had one wish what would you change so the whole song is like it's more than one wish i say like <laughs> ten thousand wishes of like what i would change so the verse starts off if i had one wish i would wish for my existence immortalizing pictures and written down in the scriptures one wish I would want the world to see me as more than just a rapper that they might have saw on TV. Yeah, I would blow out all the candles, get rid of all the corporate scandal, no need for panhandle, no need for mamas working overtime for childcare, no need for Medicaid, Medicare, or welfare. I wish we didn't monetize our daughters. I wish that rappers did community service without the court orders. And mm. that's a short order. But if I made the menu, I'd go back in time to live all of the pain I've been through. That's so good. So I, I, like, I was thinking about that and I'm thinking, okay, you got one wish. What is the thing that if every human on the planet was listening to this podcast right now, Mm. you would wish that they would do in their life or in this moment to shift consciousness? If every person in the world was listening to this podcast, podcast and I had one wish of what I would want them to do yeah or what you would encourage um, people or what you want them to know you know what you want to donate say. to my gofundme one dollar <laughs> <Yes. laughs> no i'm just kidding um so i would i would want you to look inside yourself and ask yourself every day 
how am I perpetuating division? In what ways am I perpetuating divisive language, divisive culture, divisive thought? And why am I doing that? Because wow. we all do it. And I have to ask myself every day what I'm doing to perpetuate division. Mm. I think if everybody did that every day, we would have a much sunnier, beautiful, brighter, greener earth with great intentions instead of uh, fear of the other. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. It's Thank my one you. wish. Mm -hmm. I want to I piggyback on that and just say, like, smiling to strangers on the street or in the elevator or wherever you might be mm. um, is, I think, a way to... Um, contradict the divisions, right? Mm -hmm. It's a way to say, I see you, I, like I recognize that. you, mm -hmm. and it's minimal. It's you don't minimal. have to touch them. You don't have to do anything. You just smile. Yeah. And that's contagious, right? Like the next person will smile too. And yeah. it's like, oh my gosh. And like it's, it's okay to smile. Like it's okay to like smile at a stranger, right? Pass it on. Pass it on. And and to me, that's alchemy. When you can shift out of if you can if you can bring someone from like a state of either um neutral neutrality mm -hmm. or perhaps frustration or anger or sadness into a smile into some semblance of joy that's alchemy right, right? like you're turning ash into gold mm -hmm. and that gold travels and that's an energetic shift mm -hmm. and to me that's one of the most basic and elemental forms of love activism yeah love it so just from what you were saying, I was inspired to share that. But man, I love that song. It's beautiful. Thank you. I, definitely check Fe it out. Featuring Osriel, produced by Young Huss. That's right. Check it out. Yeah, One Wish. Guys, yeah, you guys can check out. That song is not on the album, so it's available. Um, it's on Spotify. It's One Wish under the album Genesis Quoi. <laughs> yes. Um, you go to genesisb.com and you can just kind of follow that the breadcrumbs to like my music, my Instagram. So genesisbe.com. Word. So we have a little bit more time. I definitely want to make sure people can find you. You just drop, you know, where you are on Instagram and, and Spotify. But um, I guess I want to I want to open the floor up to you just to, 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 to share. You know, this is Love Extremist Radio. What do you either want to share with this audience who's very interested in active love and not just the feelings and the the energy of it, but rather like the actions and the practices or what do you what do you want to ask me because like I've been talking to a lot of interesting people about it and mm -hmm. I'd love to flip the script if, if you have something that you're curious about yeah so you asked me what I believe love is I wanted to ask you the same question mm -hmm. like what do you believe love is and what is the most interesting answer you've ever gotten from that question well I it's I believe love is the purpose of being like it is our purpose. And if I were to go deeper into that purpose, I would say that our purpose is to be a love activist and to be a love activist. One must believe in something greater and the belief in something greater exists within oneself. I believe I can be and always will be evolving, growing, being greater it's not that i'm not good enough mm -hmm. but it's just that my life and my being is something that's constantly in evolution and growth then i look to those around me and i believe in the greater the greatness of them all their potential mm -hmm. i believe in their potential mm -hmm. 
And then I look at the world and I believe in the potential of the world to heal, the universe to heal. And to me, that is love, but the belief in the potential. And I'm, you know, informed by bell hooks. I'm informed by Eric Fromm, by scholars in this field, but I'm also informed by what it feels like to be a cheerleader for others and to be a cheerleader for myself and for the planet and to think, man, like we can do better and this is amazing and let's celebrate where we are so that we can continue to move in a positive direction, right? It's much harder if we're like, we're not good enough to like move into, we're getting there, right? right? So for me, it's like, we are beautiful, we are amazing and there is potential Mm. and that potential is so exciting. Mm and constantly evolving and unraveling itself and showing itself to us. So that's the love that I've both been communicated to in terms of that definition. And it's also one that I take on. Mm, Beautiful. And and I also just want to say like love is action, right? So like activism, like being an activist from the heart and choosing love every day and waking up and saying, I'm going to make decisions from my heart. I'm going to live in my heart. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let the pain and the anger and the fear around me inform my decisions. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to honor it. I'm going to respect it and give it its space, but I'm going to make my decisions from a place of love. Right. And that's a, that's a choice and something that I encourage and challenge everyone to choose on a daily basis. Sure. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Hell yeah. So what, where do we find you in completion? Tag Gallery in LA until the, the, the end 26th, of the month? 26th. Yeah, so Tag Gallery on Wilshire. Okay. Um, yeah, it's up until the 26th. Um, then my website, Genesis, actually peoplenotthings.com is yeah. easier to, I think, find in, in peoplenotthings.com. Um, yeah, you can like, a lot of the stuff isn't up, you know, because it's exclusive in the exhibit. But mm-hmm. if anyone hits me up, like literally anybody hit me up, DM me, you know, I'll send you um, pictures of the paintings if you're interested in purchasing. Mm. Um, I can send you sneak previews of the music because the music actually, the People Not Things, the album is available for pre-order right now oh. on Bandcamp.com. You just search Genesis B, People Not Things. And yeah, everything's gonna be released probably um, after the New York exhibit. But if people want to just like keep up with me, talk to me on IG. Sometimes I go live. Um, hmm. It's just at Genesis B. Um, you spell that G E N E S I S. The letter B, the letter E, and that's Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. It's Genesis B. Were you born Genesis? Yep, that's my real name. And <laughs> last name B. No, my last name is Briggs, but my right. my father's a writer and he goes by Ishmael B. Mm. So in in um in the beginning, God said, "Let there be light." Mm. So we believe it's our God-given name. So, you know, one before I was born, my Creator said, "Let there be Genesis." Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Well, you heard it. Check out her work. Uh, I am so excited to see the exhibition and check out the music and, and experience it here in LA. Thank and for you so much for having me, man. I appreciate you just reaching out, letting me share my my humble message. Absolutely. I've always resonated with what you have to say and I'm grateful for our friendship and for what you, what you're doing in the world. You know, your art and your word is impactful and affects me and inspires me. And and I'm sure it does for many of you listening. So thank you for sharing that. The uh, last question before we close it out, what's your favorite love song? 
My favorite love song. <laughs> oh, you're going to hate me for being so cliche with this. It's okay. Cliche is fine. I mean, I got to say rest in peace to Whitney Houston. Okay. I Will Always Love You is a very powerful song because she speaks about releasing this person, like loving someone so much that you'll release them, you know, but still wishing them the best. And what she say, um, above all this, I wish you love. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, like that line right there killed it. Like that's the best love song right there just because of, of that line. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, she's rest in peace. Rest Whitney. in peace, Whitney. Well, we'll drop that on the outro. This has been Love Extremist Radio with Genesis B. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz at E T H A N L I P S I T Z on Instagram and Love Extremist on Instagram. Uh, extremist Love, sorry. And uh, yeah, just be in touch. You know, rate it, comment, share. If you're thinking about extremism if you're thinking about love if you're thinking about some of these issues we've been discussing love to hear from you and find ways where we can maybe collaborate and support each other this is all one family and we need to break through the digital walls into real time so we can engage as genesis said dm hit us up hit us up lots of love have a beautiful week and thank you genesis for being here thank you for having me you should stay I would only be in your way so I'll go but I know I'll think of you every step of the way And I will always love you, will always love you, you, my darling, you.
call you 